And uh, today I really want to obviously speak into that theme, the theme of mission, the heart of mission for us as Catalyst Church. And I want to start at a fairly um, interesting sort of scripture as I begin. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to it, um, I'm going to speak from 1 Samuel 14 this morning, chapter 14, verse 2. And uh, it says this, Saul was staying, and you may want to sort of even just note that immediately. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. It's a strange sort of a scripture to start on, but really begins to uh, lean into what I want to share about today. A bit of background about what's happening here. It's interesting. Saul is staying in a certain place. The Bible makes an emphasis on that, and he's under a pomegranate tree, the Bible talks about as well, and we'll touch on that in a sec. What's going on here? Well, this is what's happening. Saul was supposed to be attacking the Philistines. The baddies, in case you don't know. The enemies. They're supposed to be attacking the Philistines. He's, he's the commander of the Israelite army. He's got a task to do. And he started out so well. Actually, the scripture says he starts out with 3,000 men. And he goes up there and he's on his way. But he does a few things fairly significantly wrong. He sort of starts to trust in his own strength and abilities um, way too much. And the other thing is the army starts to see the size of the Philistine army that is out there. And it all starts to overwhelm them. And the scripture says they're quaking with fear, the Israelites. And they start to melt away. And the 3,000 becomes 600 and some go across the border back to other areas and are hiding. Some are hiding in rocks, some are with Saul, I guess, at the pomegranate tree. But the point is they're not moving forward, but they're not moving backwards. They're just staying in the same place. They're stuck. They're stuck in the same place and essentially they're doing nothing. Not a thing. Nothing. And I just wonder about our own life sometimes. I mean, we're talking mission here today, but maybe this resonates a little bit with you. You can think to yourself, I've come away. I've come a certain distance. And I know I'm better off here than back there. So I don't want to go back there. I mean, Saul didn't retreat. Came on the back for that. But he also said, well, I'm not going any further. I'm not going to attack like I was supposed to be attacking. I'm going to stay in this spot. And if you're anything like me in those seasons in your life where you find yourself in that moment, it can start to get incredibly frustrating because you know what? I believe this. Every single one of us are made for more. Every single one of us have inside of us a passion and a, a desire. I believe we're blessed by God to do more than stay in one spot protecting what we've got. We're meant to be moving on. We're meant to be taking ground. That's what we're designed to do. And so just a small little thought here. For some today, maybe that's you. Maybe you're just stuck. Maybe for weeks or days or months or maybe years, you know you've come a distance and you haven't gone back, but you haven't gone forward. And today you'll get some principles as we share really, though, the heart of mission. But what Saul did was really interesting. He did nothing. And specifically here today, I want to focus on that word nothing, but I want to focus on the first point here that Saul gave nothing. It's really where I want to start. He gave nothing. What do, you, what, do you, what do I mean by that? 
Saul had resources. He had an army. He was in command. He had 600 men. I've already said he started out with 3,000. They dwindled away, which is an interesting thought, by the way. That if you have resources and you do nothing with them, that the resources will just begin to dwindle away right there in 600. Paul was tasked, Saul was tasked to do something with the resources that he had. God had given him resources to fight. He anoints him king over Israel. In that moment, Saul chooses to do nothing. And not only do nothing, but he sort of finds a place where he can start to get a little bit comfortable with life. It's not even such a bad deal not doing anything in the place he's at because the scripture says he's under a pomegranate tree. And I always find it interesting when the Bible under, you know, makes a point of saying something obscure. It's like, why did it tell us that? Let's understand why it said that. So I looked up what's pomegranate trees all about. Has anybody got a pomegranate tree in their backyard? There is some, okay. Well, I don't know if it's the same type that live that, around then that are today, but apparently they're sort of like big bushes, but they can grow up to 12 metres tall. And uh, I think this one did. And apparently this type, I don't know if you want to have this, a little sweet red fruit on them. And so I guess it was a shady sort of a place. It was a nice sort of a place to be. And if you're going to be stuck, well, let's get stuck under a pomegranate tree. And sort of the picture in my mind is all of the men were just sort of enjoying the fruit of that tree. They were enjoying comfort in that moment. And what Saul wouldn't do was move on. Saul wouldn't do was use the resources that he had. And in paralysis, Saul held on under that pomegranate tree and he gave nothing. And that's just the heart of what I want to say here today. We can't do that. We can't be Saul's. We can't give nothing. We've been given so much. We don't have that option. And we don't have the option of sitting on your own pomegranate tree. You know, I want to ask that question. What's your pomegranate tree here today? Quick thought. But what is it for you that's just sweet tasting? What is it for you that you're just loving, just holding on to? That's the place I want to be. I feel secure here. I'm enjoying this spot. What is it for you? And like Saul, the problem with us is that we can get a whole lot of resources. And Saul happened at this point. He's got an army in his command, but we can let fear grab a hold of us. And Saul wouldn't use the army that he had for fear of losing the army that he had. So he did nothing. He held on. He wouldn't give it. He whole held on to it. Now, what's the problem with this? And this is really interesting as we start to examine this problem. What's the problem? Think about it. Where did Saul get the resources that he was given? Did Saul come up with that army? Did Saul make all those men come to his side? No. We read the story of Saul. He was anointed king. He was a little bit reluctant to be honest at first. He didn't choose to be king. But God had anointed Saul with a purpose for his life. And men had begun to follow Saul. And, and God had blessed Saul. And Saul accumulates all of these resources that he didn't come up with. And then he says, essentially, God, I can't use the resources you gave me in fear of losing them. So the very thing that God had given them, he now can't give away. And you know what? The same is true for us. As we begin our spiritual walk, we're willing to just go wherever God leads us. And God blesses us, I believe, for that. And He gives us resources and He gives us talents and He equips us and we, we begin to gather these things. And it's so exciting. But you know what? Here's the problem. As we begin to 
have more, we have the potential to lose more. Isn't that right? The more we have, the more we have to risk. And so all of a sudden, it's sort of ironic, but the very stuff that God has blessed us with, the very stuff that wasn't ours anyway in the first place, God gave it to us is the stuff that suddenly we're holding on to. Because we're saying to God, look, look how much there is here, and God, I need to hold on to this. I can't use it for your kingdom because it's now so much. I can't trust God that you can bless me again, that as I give, you will bless me, that as I use the resources you've given me, that you will bless me. And we decide we're going to hold on to God because surely God can't keep blessing. Challenging. Psalm 78. I actually had it in our readings just yesterday and it grabbed a hold of me. Verse 19 says this, talking about the Israelites. Okay, that's us. It says, They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the desert? Oh, it's an interesting little passage there. So much thought in that, but in other words, if God doesn't have much around in the first place, if it's dry and desolate, then God can't really bless. That's the opinion of the Israelites back then. And this is a little bit the same question I'm asking. Sometimes we can be like that. Well, if I give my resources away, I'll have nothing and God can't bless me. So I need to hold on really tight to everything that I've got. Because surely God can't bless if there's not much around. And surely God can't bless, by the way, if there's a GFC on. And surely God can't bless if times are tough. But ask that question, can God, well this is the question they asked, can God spread a table in the desert? And then they go on and they say this, it's interesting. It's sort of like they change their mind or, or they say, well hang on, in verse 20, when he struck the rock, water gushed out of it and streams flowed abundantly. It was like they remembered something, oh, he did do a miracle once. When Moses struck the rock and out of nowhere, water came. That was incredible. It was a blessing. I don't know how he did it. It was amazing. But look at the next statement. But can he also give us food? Can he supply meat for his people? In other words, I think God can do one miracle. I think God can provide once, but surely not twice. Surely God's not a God of blessing to us. And the question here today is that us. Is this, is this how small you have God in your own mind? That surely God has given you what you have anyway can't bless you again. And verse 21, and I just find these scriptures personally challenging. When the Lord heard them, he was very angry. And why wouldn't he be angry? Because he's the God of the universe. He's the God of infinite provision. And it says he's very angry. And see, this is what Saul is doing in that moment. God's blessed Saul. God gave Saul those resources. And he's saying, God, I can't let go of these resources. I can't trust you to be able to use the things for us. Can I just say, just a side point here, this is the same for us as a church. We have to be so careful of this. You know, 25 plus years ago, this church started in somebody's house. Just this small little thing. And somebody had a dream that maybe God to bless us if we miss things and if we invest our own money into this church that maybe one day we could do something amazing and significant. And because those people back then risked and 
and, and called out to God, they saw God bless them and bless them and bless them to the point where we have what we have today. I mean, have a look at this incredible venue that we're in and, and amazing sets and singers and creative teams and people during the week doing an incredible job at the moment when you're driving here. Uh, the land over the way is being sold and, and fixed up as virtually as we speak and resources are flowing in. But our challenge as a church is exactly the same. But we don't say, look, look where we are. Look what God's given us. We're comfortable. We finally made it. We've got a whole lot of things. Look at the chairs that we've got at the moment. They're new chairs, right? They're comfortable chairs. In fact, we're thinking of planting a pomegranate tree in here at some point. And just gathering under it and singing Kumbaya, you know? That's not what God has asked of us as a church. God has said, I've given you so much, now I want you to give it away. I want you to understand that I can keep blessing you. And that's true for us as individuals in exactly the same way. You know what? It's sort of arrogant. When we look at the things that we have, the job that we've got, the finances that we've got, the money that we've had come in, the increase over here, we see it start to stack up and it feels a little bit bigger. It's not like when I was in youth, I was in high school and it was just a small amount I was giving. Now it's a big amount. Oh God, I know this. It's arrogant. It's not yours anyway. It's God that blessed you with that. And God expects you to use what you've got for His kingdom. God expects you to use the resources that He's given you to take ground in His kingdom. He expected Saul to take ground in His kingdom and take on the Philistines. Every single one of us here has resources that are to be used. And you know what? The resources that we use are meant to be used in this lifetime to make a difference for eternity. And I find that that principle through Scripture so often. Use the resources you've got for eternity, forever. And that takes a faith dimension. It takes bigger thinking beyond ourselves that our life isn't just about this 70 or 80 years that we've got here on this earth. But it's about something more. Have a look at Luke 14, verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, then they invite you back and you'll be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid where? At the resurrection of the righteous. I see two principles in there. The first one is, it's just assumed by Jesus that you're going to be giving people. That you're going to take what you've got in your pocket, the resources, the money, the abilities, the gifts that you've got, and you're going to find ways to bless people. That's a given. In fact, Jesus makes it clear here that we reach out to the brokenhearted, uh, to those that are in difficult circumstances, to the lame and the crippled for those that can't help themselves. And by the way, that's what the House of Love has been doing these last 13 years. So we give what we have to help other people. We use our resources for His kingdom. And the second principle is that we'll be repaid, most likely in the next lifetime, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, it says. But one day a reward is coming. And that reward will last forever and ever. We use what we have to bless 
hard up people. You know, if I was going to talk to you about an investment today, which, um, what would you choose? If I, if I said, yeah, you can uh, invest in such a way that you'll receive something that will last for just a little while. Well, you can receive something that will last forever and bring a reward to you forever. Which one would you choose? You would choose forever. Of course you would. This is common sense. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Invest in something that lasts forever. Invest in the ongoing work that I've done for you. Now, does this mean we give every single cent? Does it mean everything? Oh, oh this is so depression. I, I feel so guilty. I've got to give everything. No, God, God's a loving God. Of course we balance it with who God is for us. He loves us. The scripture talks about us, making sure we have food to eat and and that he wants us to laugh and enjoy life. He's not cruel, but he wants us to take our resources. We've been talking about this recently. We give proportionately to who we are. We give generously. We give sacrificially. And a good God watches us. And by the way, I believe this God blesses us in this lifetime as well. And the scripture backs us up on that. But what we have no option of doing is doing nothing. He's giving nothing. Saul gave nothing in that moment. Where else do we see this in Scripture? Quite often, but here's one. How about the parable of the talents in Luke chapter 19? Three servants. They get given talents. You guys know this story most likely. And there's one servant, and he gets a whole lot of talents. He's the big servant. He gets a lot of talents. And there's another servant, the middle servant. He gets just a lesser amount of talents. And there's the small servant, he gets some small talents. It's a little bit like the three bears, isn't it? Like big talents, middle-sized talents, little talents, okay? The three bears, if you want to sort of just go with me on that. And what happens at the end of time, the master comes back. It's really interesting. He pulls along the, the first servant and he says to the servant, what did you do? And the servant says, I invested what you gave me. And here I've created this out of what you gave me. I took a risk. This is what happened. And what does he say? He says, well done, my good servant. His master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a small matter? No, I thought this was the rich servant. I thought this was the big bear. I thought this is the one that had everything. No, what God looks on in our lifetime, even the large amount is small in God's eyes. But because you've been faithful with even the smaller you've got, here come. Ten cities that await you in this next lifetime. It's my interpretation of that scripture, but quite a common interpretation. The second servant, he says exactly the same to It's the same level, level of reward. He doesn't judge it on the output. He just judges it on what he did proportionately with what he had. But what happens to the last servant? The last servant comes before the master. And he fronts up before the master. And the master has a harsh rebuke for the last servant. And what does he call him? He says, you wicked servant. Can you imagine what that moment was like for that servant? You wicked servant, he says to him. Well, what did he do? If you don't know this story, you start thinking, he must have done something pretty bad, right? I mean, this is God, and God is calling him a wicked servant. So what did he do? Did he spend it on drugs? Is that what he did? He spent it on drugs? Did he... Spent it on women? Was it women that he spent it on? Did what about the casino? Take it to the casino. Did Tom Waterhouse get in his ear or something? You know? 
and he spent it all. And what did he do? I know. He spent his money on a Ford instead of a Holden. Is that what he did? Do you know? It was an incredibly bad investment. I mean, he says, it, he says it's wicked, right? You wicked servant. What did he do? Somebody tell me. Nothing. Isn't that incredible? This is the wicked servant. He must have done something terribly bad. He did nothing with the resources that God had given him. This has got to shake us as a church. God expects us to use our talents, our gifts, and our abilities to progress his kingdom. And the wicked servant did nothing with the resources. So, let's have a look at what Jesus actually ends up saying to this uh, servant. I can find it here in my notes. And he's explaining at the end of the parable, I think the disciples come to him and they explain to him what what it sort of means. And I'm always interested uh, big time with the message version. When we read the message version, we'll sort of see a whole different um, look at how uh, Jesus talks. Jesus says this, risk your life and get more than you ever dreamed of. This is Jesus sort of explaining what happened. Risk your life and you'll get more than you've ever dreamed of. But play it safe and you'll end up holding the bag. And I don't know about you, I didn't understand what holding the bag is. So I sort of did a bit of Google research and it was really interesting. Holding the bag literally means when you're caught doing nothing. You, you're sort of the last one there holding the bag and everybody blames you and yet you were doing nothing except in this case, nothing was the problem. Jesus is not happy with nothing. There's a real straight out principle, truth to us here today. We can't do nothing. And today, unashamedly, as I talk to us as a church, I've got to say that we can't be the ones left holding the bag doing nothing. We're going to use the resources that God has given us in whatever way we can to advance His kingdom. It's not about guilt. It's not about manipulation. You come here week after week, we'll tell you how much God loves you. In fact, it's it's because of God's love that we can risk. It's because of God's love that we can go on and invest in His kingdom. If you read that parable in Luke chapter 19, that's actually, I believe, the real heart of that parable is how loving the Father is. And that's what allows uh, those servants to risk everything they have for him. And it's the servant that doesn't understand God's love that won't risk for him. So it's not about guilt, but it's a clear teaching that each and every one of us have a responsibility to use what we have. As a church, I believe your giving will make an amazing impact into this world that we live. If you've got these, you should have received them on your way. You actually take it out and hold it in your hand for a minute. Really watch it. You know, don't, whatever you do, don't just throw this, don't leave it on the seat, take it with you. Uh, have a look at it, read it, see what's inside of it. You know, in fact, I heard of somebody during the year, what they do is every year they open it up and they cut out all of their different initiatives and they stick it to their fridge and they pray for it whenever they, I guess, walk past their fridge. It's a great idea. But just have a look at some of the things in here that can get you out of that pomegranate tree, that can give you something to invest in. You know, first up there we have Cap Net Center. Angela Kodo is coming on in this role. It's absolutely brilliant. You know what? This year in Ipswich is going to save the lives of some people. I believe that. Actually, I believe it physically. 
but certainly emotionally and spiritually. Some people are locked up in debt in our city. In fact, the stats tells the Ipswich is badly affected. So we're setting up this debt center, and it's a face that we haven't done this before. We're risking what we have. We're stretching, we're, we're squeezing out every little bit of finance that we've got to make this fit into this year's budget. Count Debt Center is something that you can give to, to be a part of. Vital projects we have here this morning, right? I think we can listen to Russ probably all morning and underestimate how much of an impact Russ has had in the nation of Australia. I don't mean Ipswich, I really don't. I'm talking about the nation. Do you know that his training goes into schools all over this nation? In fact, it's not even the nation now, it's international. It's been picked up on. A teaching that can help young people find who they are. Chapel season and, and, and the high school team has been investing in that for many years now to the point that, you know, that our youth ministry here on a Friday night is about 50-50 full of community kids because people are investing. The CRI network, you know that this, I think it's the second place in Australia that has a network like, like uh, Ipswich one does. People are now coming to Ipswich to ask, how are you guys doing that? How are you so successful? And it's it come out of little old Catalyst Church. Somebody had the dream and we invested in it and we got behind it. And it's making a massive impact in our city, in part in India. You know, that organization is birthing, um, their goal is 100,000 churches. Now, we aren't responsible for everything that Empire do, but we're a piece of their puzzle. You know, this year we're looking, uh, we made contact with them, we said we can give you $30,000 to finish a training centre that we support. That's going to be a training centre to release other people. That's using our resources for the kingdom. Flip through here and we have HUA, you know, we've birthed a church movement just out of interest in about the last 18 months called HUA. Pastor Philip, photo of him, he does attend. Our church, believe it or not, he's back from overseas, but he's away today uh, speaking again. Uh, HUA is supported from this church and is touching the nation of Australia. And of course, we have a house of love in China. And again, you talk all day about a house of love. These are real people that are being touched and helped and adopted out across the world, saved, kids with disability, talking about touching the, the lame and the crippled, what a house of love does. You know, this is not just a nice idea. It's not something we just put together. Every single one of those things you can designate your giving directly to it. You can just give uh, generically and we'll distribute the funds. But you're giving to something that matters. Use this letter. Challenge your heart. Let your resources be used for the kingdom. We'll take out the offering next week and we'll do it the week after. It's the same offering. You can give twice if you want but choose one of the weeks and say, I'm going to be a part of that. And just a challenge also as a church, we are a church together. I understand there are lots of opportunities to give out there. And I understand it might take some time even to, to change the giving. The things that we give as a church, that, that we're not giving to sort of all many myriad of things, all of them that could be good, but as a church, that at least some of our giving is related to the things that our church is doing because we are a church together. This local body of Christ matters to God. And there's power when we have unity in the way that we give. So I challenge you in that. 
And the heart of it all is nothing is not an option. It's not an option anymore to hold on to what we've got. To stand before the master at the end and say, I just couldn't, didn't want to risk anything because I didn't know that you could bless. I couldn't trust you to bless. So let's continue the story here because from here we get a real story of what else is required. Remember, Saul is stuck. Okay? They're all stuck. They're not moving forward. They're not moving backwards. Nothing is happening. The men are quaking with fear. And then we get a hero sort of rise up in here. 1 Samuel 14, 1. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And why didn't he tell his father? Because his father was doing nothing. Nothing was going to happen. And then in verse 6, he says, Come, let's go to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. I love this next phrase. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. There's so much courage in that. Perhaps God will act, but I don't care what happens one way or another. I'm getting out of this hole and I'm going to do something. So verse 11, both of them showed themselves to the Philistines. That was the defining moment. Look to the Philistines. They're crawling out of their holes. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come up and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his own bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet, with his armor-bearer behind him, the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and the field, and those in the outpost and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Anybody here feel like beating your chest after hearing that? Do you know what I mean? I mean, what an act of courage. And what do we see in that moment? Is that Jonathan said, I'm not doing nothing. I can't do that. He'd been there for days and days and days, hiding out, watching men melt away, watching his father not use the resources that God had given him. He said, I'm not doing nothing. I can't do that. It's not who I am. The church of God is supposed to advance. We're supposed to attack. We're supposed to win. So I don't care what happens next. But I'm going to do something, anything, rather than nothing. And this is our challenge. In our context, we say Jonathan went, or Jonathan was a goer. He said, I'm going to go. I'm going to do something. And such incredible courage rises up. He says that perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Come, let's go over to that outpost. It's a bit like saying, you know, come, you know, let's go and pick a fight. Maybe God will help us. Do you ever feel that in your own body, in your own self? I wonder if you feel that. Do you ever get a little bit frustrated at where things are at? You know what? Take up a note of that moment if you feel frustrated in your own self at something because maybe that's the very thing that God wants you to go and do something about, to pick a fight about. Maybe let that thing get inside of you a little bit. Let it rise up a little bit. Let it burn inside of you a little bit. You know, it's one of the things uh, that I always think about the church. I love the church. Do you know the church is the greatest organization on the face of the earth? It absolutely is. It's the hope of the world. 
And yet sometimes I see the church and it feels like we're just sort of hiding and we're just sort of staying still. We just hope maybe the giving will be okay this week and nobody will leave this week and we'll just maintain our numbers and everything will be all right. And is that God's heart for the church though? Of course it's not. God's heart for this church, I mean it, this church, is that it would be a shining light, that we would glow, that we would stand out. And so it's going to challenge our hearts. And it's the same for you. What do you see? Well, let it get inside you. Let it frustrate you. I sat with somebody last week. And they came in and I said, this is what I see. I see this problem. I see that problem. And every now and again, those sort of conversations get me worried. This is just a lot of problems. But then what I loved was she said, but here's my solution. And I'm thinking of this. And I don't have all the answers, but I've got this. And I've enlisted this person. And we've been thinking that. We've got an idea and we want to move forward. And I love that because it's faith building. And I'm like, absolutely, we'll be a part of that. I don't know the answer, but what we're not going to do is nothing. That's what we don't have an option. Nothing is not an option in the way we give and in the way we go here in this world. And I love that I'm a part of something that is bigger than me, that I can be a part of a vision that God's put in my life. And by the way, there's, there's just such great faith in all of this. It didn't guarantee success. Sometimes we always expect just uh, everything just to go perfect. You know, if, if I'm doing this in faith, it'll just be it'll just be absolutely perfect. I love Jonathan's heart. I'm moving forward no matter what. We're going to get a little bit of that tenacity in us. We don't actually find out what happened to Jonathan. He might have got injured in that battle. He might have got a bit cut up. He certainly survived. He certainly lived. What we do know, he was exhausted by the end of it. He was absolutely famished, the scripture says. So he was at least tired. Sometimes it's just plain work. Sometimes it's a whole lot of effort. But we trust the heart of God, and then God is with us, and God blesses us as we go. And what I love about Jonathan, don't think he had a death wish. Jonathan wasn't being suicidal here. He wasn't choosing to die. He was choosing how he would live. You think about that. This is our choice. How are you going to live? How are you going to live your life? Are you just going to choose how you die? I might die comfortably in a hole, or I'll live my life and I'll trust God and put my life in God's hands. That's what we're about. That's what this conference is about. Acts 13 47 says, I've placed you as a light for the Gentiles. Another word would be the nations, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We've called it glow. If something glows, it take, we take note of it. When you guys walked in here today, I guarantee you, you look at the lanterns, they were lit up, you probably look at this sign. Because it's glowing, it catches your attention. This is our heart. When something is alive, it's, it's alive with heat. I love the furnace concept here. It's like red hot. When something's red hot, you see it, it's standing out. That's who we are. We're a light for the nations, every single one of us. And God's put that on our heart. And we've got to capture God's heart for us. Every single one of us is a missionary. You know, the people that are represented in here are brilliant people. But every single one of us are missionaries. Do you know that? You're a missionary right where you are. We've all got God's heart to touch this world. And in one way or the other, some of us are just going to be right here in Brussels. You're a missionary in Brussels. Some it's Fernvale. Some it's Red Bank. Collingwood Park. Some even beyond. Springfield. Your missionaries, every single one of us, and we have to grab a hold of the fact that God's heart 
is our heart that he's got us all on a personal mission doing something. And I wish we could take an offering up and, and sort of support everybody here. And in a little way we do, that's what ghost parks are about. Our giving's right again this year, we can do that again. Funding different ideas for mission here for this church. To follow Jesus, we begin to recognize that uh, we're a part of his mission here in this world. And Jonathan understood that. He says, I'm not staying in the rocks and the premises, and that's what we've got to say. Don't stay there. Go for it. And by the way, this is what Steve Addison's course is all about. We've got coming up in a couple of weeks. And Jonathan, you know, he had um, he had like a sword and he was trained in battle. There's a basic equipping that he had, even though it was full of faith. You know, this course is really about equipping us in a very natural way to know how do I go about just being a disciple of people, a disciple of men and women following and fishing. And I can't plug this enough. I hope and pray that we have tens and hundreds of people from our own churches. There's people travelling with hours away to be a part of this. It's on here. And all it's going to cost you is Friday night until 4 o'clock on a Saturday and a small investment of your own money. Be a part of it. Do something. Can we just play the promo of that just so that we I get one more reminder of what this is about? Jesus promised us that if we'll follow him, he'll teach us to fish for people. And I'm wondering, has anyone ever taught you how to be a witness? How to share your story? How to share some of the gospel story with people? How to draw people into the scriptures and discover Jesus for themselves. I'm Steve Addison, and that's what we'll be looking at in the seminar that uh, I'll be leading Friday, May 31, and Saturday, June 1st. I'm really looking forward to the opportunity of being with you. We run this training all over Australia, and wherever we run it, and people go out and implement, we hear stories of people not just coming to faith in Jesus, Fantastic. So it's only thirty-five dollars. Don't let cost be a problem. Cost is a problem, and you tell us. But I would say, man, invest in yourself. On your sheet and your tables today, you're going to receive one of these little um, sheets. Um, you know, even as you're encouraged today, I would encourage you. You know, write down somewhere on there, uh, number six or no, or so on the list. I'll attend that course. Just an easy way. Tip that. Whack it in the, the boxes as you leave today and say, I'm going to be a part of that. I just ask you to do that. Challenge yourself. Get out of your own rut and say, all right, how do I get equipped to be able to do what God is asking me to do? And by the way, we've got this on Facebook as well, I think, if you follow Catalyst Church. You can see the link there and you can click on that and there's forms that are linked to that. You can sign up via your PC as well. Plenty of ways to sign up. But don't do nothing. And in case you're thinking to yourself, oh, right, so it's all about being equipped and being an expert, being smart at it, can I just say this? Think for a minute about the other guy. I mean, Jonathan's a warrior, right? Has anybody thought about the arm bearer and all of this? When you think about it, whose idea was it? Whose crazy idea was it to go over there and attack the Philistines? It was Jonathan's idea. But he has to say to his armor bearer, do you want to come with me? Think about that for a minute. Is he equipped to, to really fight like that? And tell me this, who's the first one that's going to die if things go wrong? Who is it? It's the armor bearer, right? It's the guy, I don't even know if he's got a sword. He probably doesn't. His whole job is 
defense that I would get. But I love his heart. You know, it's, there is a certain level here that is about equipping. You know what? There's a certain level of just getting tenacity and saying, I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a go, and I might get bloodied up in the process. I might get tired. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they may lose their life. But you know what? We're going to do it. And I love that in our church. I love that there's that sort of tenacity in people. This is a church full of people willing to have a go, that are living up to the vision of this church, that it would be a unique church that provokes lasting change. There's a church full of people like that. I, I started thinking about that. Noel Woodward, by the way, is going to lead a small uh, team to Ethiopia soon. I love his heart. You know, we put out a call to short-term missions trip, great thing to be involved in, and it just didn't work this time. The numbers went down, down, and down. And Noel said, I don't mind, I'm going anyway, I'm doing it, I'm leading a team, my heart is for that country, I'm investing with my own resources, and he's gathered a few people around him, and he's going to do it. He's not only equipped to do that, but he's doing it. I know, and Susie's biggest fan, but Susie, when she began this whole RI process a couple of years ago, Susie would have said, I'm totally equipped to do this, I'm the expert here in Australia. Did you say that, Susie? No way. And I'm sure Susie wouldn't mind. I've had time on the phone with her in recent weeks and months. Late at night, man, Susie's been like, I am so equipped, but this is so hard. And I've got a bloody nose today and a black eye, and it's difficult. But she said, I'm getting back up tomorrow and going back in, and I'm going to give it another go. I love that. I love people like that. Darren Bennett ran Alpha this morning. And Darren wasn't an expert at running Alpha, but he ran Alpha this morning. And, um, and has about 15 people that are doing Alpha and beginning that whole process. Josh and Nicole Slosh, they had a passion to begin a food ministry and they stepped out and great things happened and resources came about them. And guess what? It closed down about six months ago. Should I not have talked about that? Because it's not happening yet, right? We don't talk about it. No way. That's exactly the point. Josh and Nicole felt led by God. They did something amazing. They went out there. They actually got a little bit beat up. And they've had to close it down in this season. But they did something. They grew as people. They learned lessons. They touched a whole lot of different people's lives. It's not about ultimately always the end result that we see. It's about saying, God, I know your heart. I know your heart is to touch people. I know your heart is to change the lives of people. And I'm not doing nothing. What are you doing? You know, this form today has all sorts of different options on here. Maybe you're just tickled interested in a short-term trip. You know, nothing like a short-term trip. We're just enjoying Red Frogs or Cap Debt Center, helping RI, all sorts of things. But maybe get involved in something, do something, but don't sit still. We're not, it's not an option for us as a church. We move forward and we do things that God is asking us to do. Mark Twain says, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you don't do than the things you did do. They caught me, I read this about two weeks ago. So throw off the bow line, sail away from the harbour, catch the trade winds in your sail, explore, dream, discover. You know, do something, lead something, change something, get some sweat in the game, find the moment. But we are here just to take up space. Move in that right direction. 
you know, this is what Jess's role is in Go. We've managed to find a day a week uh, this year, and already it's reaping great results. Jess's role is to really help just equip people in our own church to go into all sorts of different areas. And as a husband, I don't hope this, but in my role as lead pastor, I hope she's swamped with different people, with different ideas, and already people are starting to say, I've got an idea, this is what I want to do. How can we help as a church? This is our heart, that we would not do something with our finances, uh, we would not do nothing, and that we would not sit still. You know, Saul gave nothing, but he should really have used everything. And Jonathan did something, but he knew nothing was no option. Bottom line here, powerless church. Anything but nothing. That's what I'm saying. Anything but nothing. We're callous, and that's our name. When it comes to our giving, anything but nothing. And we know what that means. It means more than anything. It means sacrificial. It means generously. It means more. It means excelling in the way that we give. Not nothing as a church. And then I'm going, anything but nothing. Going, willing to get laid up, sort of faith, bold, challenging, passionate, trusting God sort of faith. Anything but nothing. You know, I love that I live for something, I, I work for something, and I live for something that is uh, bigger than me, that I can give my life for. Whatever you're at, whatever vocation you're at, you're a part of a local church. Give your life for the cause of a local church. See this world change. That's the heart on our mission conference. Really, it's the vision and the heart and the mission of our church. You know, use your life effectively. You get one life. You know, I'm often reminded of that. Have a look around as you drive over one, one chance. You're going to spend eternity thinking about the one chance you have to be a Jonathan. You can be a Jonathan or a Saul in your lifetime. Which one are you going to be? The one that did something God, I just share a message here today, but I pray that it's really your spirit grabs a hold of us and convicts every single one of us, myself included, to get the tenacity that Jonathan had and to really fire ourselves up, God, and be excited about where you're leading us. You're leading us to great places and as individuals, your heart is for us to, to move on. And I pray, Lord God, that you would impress it on us and excite us, God, with the vision you have for our life, the vision you have for our church. Lord, speak to us, God, about the way we would give. Let's give generously. Speak to us, God, about the way we would go. Let's go courageously, I pray. Amen.